Here, this Christmas in the Thomas household is a little different than the last few years because this year my kids finally understand the concept of waiting to open a gift until Christmas Day. The last few years we've tried it, uh, but they didn't get it. And this year, as soon as we put the gifts there, they're wanting to open it and we're telling them, no, you have to wait till Christmas Day. In fact, my son Ezra, he has one specific gift. Multiple times throughout the day now, he'll bring it to us like this. And it's very sad. He say, Dada, can you open it for me? And I'll say, no. You got to wait till Christmas Day. And for us as their parents, um, we are uh, so excited for them to open this, these gifts because we know them and we've handpicked it for them individually. And we know the joy that's going to be on their face. You guys know how it is when you open gifts. Uh, when they open this gift, they're going to be so happy so energized, and then they're going to want us to set up the gifts for them and play with it, and I can't wait for them to, to see them do that, and I can't wait for them to tell their friends and family members that uh, mommy, daddy got it for me. In fact, that's what our, our kids call us. We're like a packaged unit. So when my, when my kids come to me, they say, mommy, daddy, can I get the granola bar? And when they go to my wife, they say the same thing. Mommy, daddy, I don't know if it's weird or it's cool because they see us as one unit, but that's what they call us. I can't wait for them to get these gifts and to celebrate and to use them because I've hand picked it for them. And this coming week, you might get some gifts from your friends and coworkers or neighbors or loved ones, whatever it is, and I hope that you do. But in this series, what we've been talking about is gifts from God our Father, the creator of the universe. We kicked off the series and we talked about the gift of peace that God has given us. And then last week we talked about the gift of joy that we can have no matter what it is that we're going through in life. And today we're going to talk about another gift that God has given us, but there's a problem with this gift. This gift Many of us have received, but it's like a gift under the tree that's been left there unwrapped and untouched. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as I mentioned the Holy Spirit, it probably triggered a, a wide variety of emotions and responses uh, based on where you grew up, what church you went to, what your family experience was like. Uh, some of you are so happy that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Others of you are going, what did I get myself into this morning? And then some of you are saying, what is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Who? What are we doing here? So here's what I want all of us to do, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is. Can we all take a deep breath? And here's what I want you to do. Imagine this, uh, here's the, my heart behind the message. Imagine this coming week, all the gifts that we got our kids, and my kids, my kids see this one gift, and they just refuse to open it. They know it's there, they've heard of it, they knew that there's a gift for them, but they just leave it under the tree. Me and we as their parents, me and my wife, we'd be telling them, hey, you have no idea why I got you this gift. This gift is intentionally given for you. It's not a gift that you're going to use for a few moments and a few minutes and throw away. This is a gift that you're going to want to use for the rest of your life, and it is for you. And that's, the, that's my heart behind this message this morning, that God has given us a gift that we're not just supposed to experience, uh, we're not just supposed to just know about and see. I don't want us to be a church that has this gift that remains unwrapped, but our heart is that we are a church that experiences this gift of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us by God himself. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to unwrap seven truths about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to go through it quickly, and then we'll be done, and you guys can go home and have lunch, do whatever it is that you do. Is that cool with you guys? Even if it's not, I'm still going to do it, so too bad. But we're here. Seven truths about the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. I'm going to go through these as quick as I can. Number one, Holy Spirit is a person. I've heard many people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, but the Holy Spirit is not a concept or an idea or a force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And in Scripture, what we find are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, and what we find is intellect, what we find is emotion, what we find is will and character. For example, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit speaks to the church's 
at that time. In the book of Romans, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for believers. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament commands the disciples. The Holy Spirit appoints elders. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, searches all things. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit dwells among us and with us. The Holy Spirit is also a gift giver. He gives spiritual gifts to us. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit cries out. It even says that the Holy Spirit can be lied to and grieved and insulted. And here's what that means for us. Because he's not a concept or an idea, it means that you and I can know him personally and intimately and get to experience him. He's a gift like no other. I don't know about you, but um, there's some etiquette when it comes to re-gifting gifts that you get. Any re-gifters in here? A couple of you are being honest. The rest of you are lying. Now, my wife and I got this gift a few years ago, and it was definitely re-gifted to us. Um, it was from, from a member of our church, not this church, church, the last church that I went to. And um, we got this wine decanter set. And um, you could tell by the package that it was re-gifted. Like, they had taped you know, the seal over again, and uh, it had some creases and some dents in it and stuff. And then once we opened it, everything's dusty. So you knew this was from like 20 years ago. It's been sitting in their closet, and they said, I should give this to Alan and his family. So we got this gift, and we re-gifted it. And here's why. There's some etiquette when it comes to re-gifting. If you're actually going to use a gift, then you should keep it. It's rude to give it away. But we had no use for this gift, so we re-gifted it. And here's the difference between that, those type of gifts that you and I might not want and want to re-gift versus the gifts that God has given us, especially when it comes to him through the Holy Spirit. He is a gift that has been given to you, for you, so that you can, he can be with you for the rest of your life. Because you can, the Holy Spirit is not a concept or an idea. It means that you can intimately and personally know him. Number one, Holy Spirit is our helper. Number two, Holy Spirit, uh, number two, Holy Spirit is our helper. Number one, Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, Holy Spirit is our helper. I don't know if anyone in here is into rallying or rally races. I love watching these videos on social media or on YouTube. And uh, here's an image of a car that's in the middle of a race. And um, these races sometimes last for three to four days. And the drivers of these vehicles, uh, they're driving on surfaces that are dirt and gravel and snow and ice. And there's, uh, it's not like a typical race that you might find, you know, uh, like in NASCAR where they go around in circles and it's just confined within this protected track that's there. Um, but they're off-road. In fact, you can see that if he makes a wrong turn, he can fall off a cliff or you can hit a tree and you're going through the elements. And sometimes there's rocks in the way. Sometimes you can't even see where you're going because of the dust that's uh, up in the air from you driving. Here Here's, what I, how, here's how I would define rallying. Rallying is an extended journey with difficulties and obstacles. I don't know about you, but does that remind you of something that you and I also experience? A journey full of difficulties and obstacles. That journey, you know, if you've lived more than a few years, is called life. We are on this extended journey with difficulties, a journey uh, that's not mundane and repetitive and confined within a protected track, but there are curves, right? There's bumps, there's obstacles, there's breakdowns, there's very little visibility at times, there's flat tires. And here's a cool thing about rallying. If you look closely at the vehicle, not only do you find a driver, but in rallying, there's always a co-driver in the vehicle. And the co-driver plays an essential Role. They have this notebook where they're reading off pace notes to the driver. You can't rally race without a co-driver. And here's what the, the co-driver is telling the driver. He tells him what lies ahead, 
which turns to take, the severity of the turns that they might experience, what obstacles to look out for. The co-driver will also tell the driver about accidents further down on the journey. In fact, if the car has an issue, the co-driver is expected to maintain the vehicle as well. Wouldn't it be nice if you and I in this life had a co-driver with us that was telling us and helping us every step of the way? God knew exactly why what we needed because he knew what we would experience in this life. It's why he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit as a helper. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will give you another advocate. In the original language that the Bible was written in, in the Greek, that word there is paraclete, and it means a helper, a counselor, an aid, a co-driver. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us on this extended journey of life that we're in, a race, a journey full of twists and turns and jumps and debris and obstacles. He is the one who navigates. He is the one who interprets. He knows every twist and turn, so you and I can be prepared and know when we need Assistance. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift so he can be our helper. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives us power. Everybody say power. Here's what Jesus tells his disciples in the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples before his ascension. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word there for power, again, in the original language that it was written in is dynamis. And it's the word where we get our English word dynamite from. It implies this inner strength that goes outward from within. It says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. When he comes upon you, you will receive power. I've always wondered, why power? Why didn't Jesus say, well, you'll receive wisdom when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive patience when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think it's because Jesus knew exactly what his disciples needed to accomplish what he called them to and is exactly what you and I need on this journey of life because life can be draining. We go through things in life where it feels like we don't even have the right strength. Have you ever felt too weak to make the right choices? I know I've been there. Too weak to face insecurities in life. Too weak to face fear and failure. Too weak to get out of bed with any sort of purpose. Too weak to just do the right things the right way. Too weak to face unmet expectations in life. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which means that you no longer have to do this on your own strength. You no longer have to go about making choices and fighting demons in your life on your own strength, but he, can, he has given you power so you can face today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next season, the next trial, the next test, the next temptation. You and I don't have to go about life beaten and bruised on our own because the Holy Spirit has been given to us so he can strengthen us to do what God has called us to do. He has been given to us so that you and I can live in power to be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. That's a mandate from Jesus that we don't just hold on to our faith and keep it to ourselves and ignore the people that come around us in life, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, the people that we live with and play with and work with. You are to be my witnesses. 
which is to say, this is what he's done in my life. Here's what he can do for you. He says, the Holy Spirit will give you power and strength to do that. Number four, the Holy Spirit helps us to bear fruit. You guys with me so far? Holy Spirit helps us to bear fruit. The book of Galatians, here's what Paul writes. Galatians chapter five. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul is saying here, the Spirit, what the Spirit desires to do in your life and what your flesh or your humanity desires to do are on opposite ends. They are in conflict with each other. And then he gives brief descriptions of what our flesh is capable of doing and then what our spirit is capable of doing or the spirit is capable of doing. Here's what he says are examples of our humanity, of the flesh. The acts of the flesh, he says, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, this is what you and I are capable of doing because of our flesh, but God has called us to something else, life through the Spirit. And here are the characteristics, the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I read that, I don't know about you, I read that and I long for those things. I want those things in my life. And when it comes to the acts of the flesh, I don't think that there are many of us, especially those who follow Jesus, that wake up and say, I just want to lean into my flesh this morning. Like today seems like a great day for sexual immorality. Today I'm going to step out and just have fits of rage. Today I'm just going to go get drunk and go be part of wild parties. None of us wake up with the intention of doing those things, but because of our humanity, because of the pull from the culture that we live in, many of us find ourselves leaning into the acts of the flesh. But I do think that many of us long for the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are things that we long for and that we want in life. In fact, these are some of the best gifts that you can give this Christmas. For some of you, the best gift that you can give your kids is not another toy, but it's a little bit more patience. The best gift that you can give your spouse this Christmas is a little bit more faithfulness. The best gift that you can give your coworker who's gone through it in life this year is a little bit more gentleness. The best gift that you can give to someone in your school is that someone that needs a little bit more love in their lives. The problem is that we desire these things, but far too often we try to muster them up on our own. We try to force them. We try to create them on our own. Now, one of the things that you'll find once you start going to church and reading Christian books and things like that are, are great books on discipleship, which is a fancy way of saying following Jesus. And what many of them will say is, if you want to be like Jesus, all you have to do is do all the things that Jesus did. If you do what Jesus did, you'll become like Jesus. And I have a little bit of a problem with that because I think it falls apart. And here's what I mean by this. And I'm going to do something that I've never done before in my life, and that's give a shout-out to the Dallas Cowboys. You guys had a great win last week. Sorry, Eagles fans. You got some claps this service. Last week, they were, like, silent. So imagine the Cowboys fans in the room, because you guys are slightly delusional, but you guys, imagine you guys came to me and said, Alan, if you want to be like the great Dak Prescott, all you have to do is do all the things that he's done. Imagine you said that, and so I take that advice, and then I go out, 
and I buy all the supplements, I eat the way he does, I get the same amount of sleep, I follow all his workouts and routines, I even start hanging, out, hanging around his friends and his family members, and here's what that might do. My conditioning will get better, my throw would definitely get better than it is right now, uh, my, my figure might change a little bit, I'll have a better understanding of the game of football, but here's what I know will also happen. When it comes down to it, when it really matters, no matter what you say, no matter how much you believe, Alan has followed all of his routines and structures to a T. He's ready for the game in the National Football League. I know that if I was placed as a, uh, as a quarterback in a game in the National Football League, I will die. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I follow his routines, I will never be him. And this is the dilemma we face in life. We try to muster up joy and peace and love and gentleness and kindness, and we can try and do it on our own. But when it matters, when the reality of life hits, it becomes difficult, almost impossible. Like it's really difficult for me to be gentle when I'm driving in my minivan on 1604 and someone cuts me off and almost causes an accident. It's really difficult for me to show love to that kid that's making fun of my kid with special needs. When life happens, it's really difficult for us to do what Jesus has called us to do. So it's not just about trying to do what he did so we can be more like him. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, you have a flesh that makes you lean this way, but there is a gift that God has given you, and that is the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Jesus, we don't just follow him on our own, chasing after Christ's likeness on our own. No, his spirit has been given to you, which means that it is possible for you to be like Jesus, not because you try harder, but because his spirit is inside of you. It's through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that you and I can bear fruit. doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. doesn't mean that you'll be exactly like Jesus. But when you lean into the flesh, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts and gently guides you back. So every single day, he allows us to be more and more like Jesus. Number five, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans chapter eight, here's what Paul says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There are times in life where we, you and I, we know exactly what we need to pray for. Maybe you've made plans or you have plans that you're making for the new year and you're saying, God, these are all the things that I want to accomplish. These are all the things that I want to see in my life and you're praying for them by name specifically. Or there are other times in life where you might be reacting to a sickness or an issue or an unforeseen situation and you're just saying, God, I pray for healing or I pray that this specific situation will be made right. But... If you've lived life long enough, you know that there are some situations that come up in your life where you just don't even know what to pray, where you don't even know what to say next. I've been there in my life where I say, God, I don't even know if I'm praying the right things. I don't even know if what I'm saying is what I'm supposed to be praying. God, I don't even know what to pray right now. I feel helpless. I just need you in my life. Paul calls these the groanings of a heart that has experienced pain in life. That's what comes out of us. For example, yesterday, we had our men's uh, basketball. We play every Saturday morning. If you're interested, just shoot us a message. And uh, yesterday, the games got a little competitive. I think it's because Pastor Dan was there. I don't know, but it got a little competitive. And then 
I, uh, during the game, I didn't realize this was happening, but someone stepped on my toe. <laughs> Dan, someone stepped on my toe, and I didn't realize who it was. I don't think it was Dan. I'm just picking on him. But I didn't realize because you're in the game, you're playing, you're in the thick of it. But when I got home, I took off my shoe, and I looked at my big toe, and I realized that it was b- black and blue. Like the fingernail is about to fall off. And uh, there was so much pain, you know, every, t- every step I took. So my wife gave me some Advil and some Tylenol and took a shower. And I got, I got to my couch and just sat there trying to relax for a moment. And then my beautiful kids ran over to me and one of them just steps on that toe. And out came not eloquent words describing my pain and my emotions in that moment. It was this groan. My wife said a high-pitched scream, but it was a groan. It was a deep <laughs> groan that came out of me, very deep. In that moment, when I felt pain, all that came out of me was a wordless groan. But in that wordless groan is the pain that I was experiencing. And Paul says, when we face difficulties in life, at times we just don't even know what to pray. And all that comes out is wordless, maybe even to us what seems like meaningless groans, but they are not meaningless because the Holy Spirit is interceding, is translating, is taking those wordless groans to the Father to accomplish in and through us what he's called us to according to the will of God. It's what he does for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes even in our wordless Grown. So that means because of the Holy Spirit, there are no wasted prayers in this life. He turns it all and works it for our own good. I love how Eugene Peterson, he translates this passage, Romans chapter 8. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right along helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. It's through the gift of the Holy Spirit that this happens in your life. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I got two more points. We're doing seven truths that we're unwrapping about the Holy Spirit. Number six, Holy Spirit seals us. Holy Spirit seals us. Ephesians chapter one, Paul writes this beautiful passage, and part of it, here's what he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's a beautiful passage here. And Paul says, when you believed. Some of us read that and the temptation is to say, when I behaved and did all the right things. He says, no, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is so beautiful. You can read this over and over again. And here's what this means. Here's how I would say it. When my kids were born in the hospital room, when you're tired and groggy and your wife is in pain, they bring you forms and paperwork to fill out. And one of the paperwork, pieces of paper that they bring you is they tell you, tell us what your child's name is. You have to decide right now. And so you pick the name and you submit that. But then you also submit other paperwork, right? 
And the other paperwork, you put some details about who you are and the child's name. And out of this, all the paperwork that you give them, they produce for you a birth certificate. And the birth certificate has a purpose. Number one, it's proof that a child was born and is alive in this world. Number two, it shows you some other details about this child. Their description maybe of the weight and their height. But more importantly, it lists their father's name and their mother's name, which implies that this child now belongs to these two individuals. If I lose it, I can't just go and make one. Like, I can't just go on Microsoft Word and write, you know, Ezra Jude Thomas is my son. He was born on this day. Here's my name. Here's my wife's name. I have a birth certificate. Why? Because on the one that they give you in the corner is a seal that says official document of the state of Texas. And it is that seal that makes this document official. It is that seal that says these are the parents of these three kids. And because of that seal, Ezra, Maddie, and Penelope, they belong to me. It does not matter how they behave. It does not matter what they look like. It does not matter what they do or don't do. It does not matter if they're born typical or have some sort of special need. It does not matter if they're male or female. I have proof in my possession that shows me that these are my children and there is nothing they can do that will remove that fact. It doesn't even matter if some of you who love my kids want to take my kids from me and you want to make up your own documents. I know that would be creepy, but go with me on this illustration. This document that, said, that I have with the seal says that these are my kids. And so what that means for you and I when we come to Jesus, it does not matter if there's an enemy out there that says, I want to snatch them for myself. And it does not matter how you behave, what you did yesterday, what you do tomorrow. What matters is that you and I have been sealed in Christ Jesus, not by a sticker or a stamp, but by the Holy Spirit. And that seal guarantees that you will be with him forever. That is good news because of the Holy Spirit. He seals us in him. He is the guarantor of the deposit that we will have our inheritance in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals us. Last but not least, the Holy Spirit is given to all who believe. Here's what Paul writes to the Roman church. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Saying if Christ is in you, Even though your body is subject to death, the Spirit gives life. And he says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit, they don't actually belong to Christ. What is Paul saying? Saying they're not separate from one another. When you come to Jesus, you don't have to wait a few years to receive the Holy Spirit. They come together because it's His Spirit that lives in and through you. I grew up in a church culture where they said, yes, you've come to know Jesus, but you just need to wait and pray and toil and work your way to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not true. Any one of us who have come to Jesus have already received him through Jesus. But there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and experiencing the Holy Spirit. So for many of us, we've received that gift, but it stays under the tree, unwrapped and untouched. Maybe for reasons that are valid. For many years, I 
avoided it because of the culture that I grew up in that kind of abused it and placed an emphasis on it that was unnecessary. Maybe you've been to some churches and you were weirded out by them talking. Whatever it is, for some of us in this room, there's a gift that we've received through Jesus that remains unwrapped and untouched. And here's what Paul writes. And here's what we know happened in the early church when the early Christians, not only did they receive the Holy Spirit, but they were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul writes to the Ephesian church. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus that already has Jesus and has received the Spirit. But look what he says. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or a cheap way of living. But be filled with the Spirit. Why does he use this example of being drunk? He could use a lot of different examples. He's saying when you get drunk, when you fill yourself with wine and it's too much of it, what happens is you begin to be intoxicated by it. It begins to alter the way that you think and behave and move and act in a way that leads to a cheap way of living. Don't fill yourself with something that alters you in that way, but fill yourself with the Spirit of God that allows you to accomplish what God has called you to. The Spirit of God that alters you and changes you in a way. And it's only possible, not by mustering up, trying to be different, trying to be more like Jesus, by filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit where we begin to walk in the way that God has called us to. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You simply pray every single day, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Holy Spirit, I welcome you today. Would you help me to accomplish what you've called me to today? Would you help me to tune in to how you're leading and guiding? Would you help me to simply listen? Would you help me to overcome that temptation today? Would you help me to show a little bit more love today? Would you help me through your spirit allow me to be a witness of what Jesus has done in my life. We wake up and we pray, come Holy Spirit. That is a way that we experience him. Sometimes Tim Keller says this illustration beautifully and he says, sometimes here's what we do. Sometimes there are some people in the church, you might receive a gift. Imagine this weekend, you receive a gift for Christmas and you're excited to open it up and the gift says, how to lose some weight be a little offended, right? Even if you needed to, we all need to, let's be real, but even if you needed to, there'd be some pride that comes up and says, wait a minute, I don't need this gift. Sometimes for some of us, depending on where we grew up and what background we grew up, there's some pride that keeps us from experiencing what God has intended to help us in life. His name is the Holy Spirit, and he simply asks that we invite him that we can be aware of what he's doing in and through us. When I've done that in my life, I've seen God do some amazing things in my life. From being a little bit more kind to people, as simple as that, because of the spirit inside of me, to seeing from experiencing him leading me to different people. I've been at HEB and Walmart and there are times where I just want to do my own thing. I feel like something that's leading me to this person. Like there was one time I shared the story a few years ago and it still trips me out and I don't know if I'd ever do it but this was something that God was teaching me 
and a group of us were praying a few, uh, it was about 10 years ago, we were praying and we wanted to go out and tell people about Jesus. We had just come to know him and we were excited and we just wanted to go tell people and so we began to pray and I wrote down, as I was praying, a description of someone that I felt like I was supposed to talk to. It's a little weird, it was a little out there, but I did it. And I wrote down a blue hat, a blue jacket, and then someone that had a limp. I just saw this image in my head, it was really weird. And so we went to Walmart and we were just like, let's just be weird Christians and go talk to people. The first guy I went and talked to, I saw him down the, the aisle, old man, blue hat, blue jacket, he had a cane and a limp. I'm going, this is it. And I go up to him and I said, sir, can I, I'm a Christian, this is weird, but like here's a paper with a description of you that I wrote down, can I pray for you? And he said, you're a Christian? He said, get away from me, I don't want anything to do with you, leave me alone. And he walked away. He's going, okay, this did not work, we're way off, I need to go back home. So we kind of walk around Walmart a little bit more, do some shopping, and then as I'm on my way out, I see another dude walking in. He's got a cane, he's got a blue hat, blue jacket, and he's kind of limping his way. So I go up to him, I'm like, this is, I'm probably gonna get yelled at again, but let me try it again. I go up to him and say, sir, this is really weird, I know it's off, but I'm a Christian, I pray to God, and this never happens to me, but there's this one time where I just wrote down a description, and you match it to a T. I feel like I was supposed to pray for you. And this man just broke down crying and he said, you found the person you were looking for. And he said, he had just had knee surgery, his son was going through a divorce, and he said, all we need is some prayer right now in my life. So I prayed for him and I left. And what God taught me in that moment is not to seek out more signs and images and scripture. What he taught me in that moment is that there are people that I encounter on a daily basis that I walk by have, and that are going through some things in life and what they need to hear is the good news of Jesus that God loves them and is for them and is with them and it is the Holy Spirit that is working in and through us that allows us to do that. What would it look like for you this Christmas to just lean in to just be courageous, just to be brave and say, come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Be with me. Here's what I want to invite you to do this morning. Would you just open your arms as I pray over you, as a sign of receiving, as a sign of surrender. God, we thank you that there are so many gifts that we get in life, material gifts and gifts like peace and joy and but this gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift of yourself in your spirit, working in and through, the, through us. God, forgive us at times for forgetting. Forgive us at times of thinking we can just go about life doing this on our own. Forgive us at times of thinking it was weird or that it was scary or that we're not sure if we both. Forgive us. As you said, when he comes upon you, you will receive power. And you told your disciples, it is better that I go. Because there is coming one, the advocate, the comforter, the helper, the co-driver, the aid that helps us accomplish things in life. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that have been trying to overcome some things in their life on their own. And have fell flat. Would you help them to pray, come, Holy Spirit. I pray for those who love their kids but over and over and over find themselves yelling at their kids or having little patience or gentleness with their kids because they're just trying to do it on their own. Would you help them to pray, come Holy Spirit. I pray for those who've always wondered, 
I really want to tell people about Jesus, and I don't know how to do it without being weird, or I don't want to come off offensive, or whatever it may be. And they've tried to do it through strategies and philosophies. Would they just simply pray in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, the places that they walk into? Come, Holy Spirit. Pray for those who are struggling in their marriages. They've tried all the strategies. They've tried talking to people, and yet they just keep disagreeing with one another. They simply pray, come, Holy Spirit, into their own lives so that your fruits begin to be bare in their lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. Pray for those who are just going through it this Christmas season. Don't have enough strength. Feel like they're in it on their own. They feel like they're going through this extended journey of difficulties and obstacles on their own. Do you help remind them that there is a co-driver next to them? Would they simply pray, come Holy Spirit? God, will we be individuals? Will we be families? Will we be a church that doesn't just see the gift of the Holy Spirit and has knowledge about the Holy Spirit, but experiences you? so that we can do what you've called us to do. Pray for those in the room that feel like because of what they did last night or last month or last year or 10 years ago that they are not worthy. Would you remind them of the seal of the Holy Spirit that when we come to Jesus, our inheritance is guaranteed. Would they be reminded they are sons and daughters of the Most High when they say, come, Holy Spirit. We thank you for who you are. We pray that we would experience you daily by inviting you into our lives. We thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your patience with us in our journey of faith with you. Would you come, Holy Spirit? This is in this precious name we pray. And the church said, 